It's been a tough year, but many of us still have so much to give thanks for this holiday season, including certainly a common theme of this podcast, reliable access to affordable food. This is thanks to the American farmer and rancher, and of course, the strong farm policies that support them. During this season of gratitude and really all year round, rural America and really all of America is giving back. In the past 55 years, listen to this, the U.S. has helped feed more than 4 billion people worldwide. In 2018 alone, the U.S. International Development Agency provided 2.5 million metric tons of in-kind food and locally sourced aid to communities in need around the world. This is one big way that farmers and the American people share their bounty with our neighbors. I'm Tom Sell. Welcome to Groundwork, the podcast where we unpack modern farm policy. This month, we are so privileged to be joined by a wheat farmer um, from Washington State, Nicole Berg, to talk about the importance of providing food aid internationally. So Nicole is a fourth generation farmer, again, from Washington State and vice president of the National Association of Wheat Growers. Nicole, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Thank you, Tom. I, I look forward to our discussion. Thanks so much. So America helps impoverished people around the world by providing in-kind food aid. That means the U.S. government buys excess crops grown right here in the United States, sends it in bags labeled with the U.S. flag to countries in need. These programs are funded and administered through the U.S. International Development Agency, or USAID, uh, the U.S. U.S. Department of Agriculture as well. Nicole, just tell us, how does wheat play a key role in feeding our neighbors overseas? Gosh, Tom, you know, wheat does quite a bit for folks overseas, just as you would if your neighbor was in need of help, you would go help your neighbor across the street. Well, we just happen to help folks across the world. Uh, wheat experts play a major role in feeding the world. Um, the industry does what it can to support countries in need. The World Food Program recently sent 50,000 tons of wheat flour to Lebanon after a chemical blast at Beirut port destroyed every silo and all the private stock held there. Lebanon, yeah. Lebanon they consume about 35 to 40,000 tons of wheat a month. And so with no grain storage, um, we came through and, and flour in bags that is ready to distrib- distribute to folks um, to help those folks in need. So you'll see whenever there's a crisis, wheat growers, we try to step up to the plate and do what we can, whether it's in food bulk or try to get some flour to those folks that really are in need and, and in stress. I love that example. That, that Lebanese blast in Beirut was such uh, a stark image, uh, just horrifying image of, uh, of, of urban destruction. And of course, you know, the need for food, you know, obviously there were some fatalities, that's tragic, but for the bulk of the population, they have to figure out a way to keep on going. And of course, when we talk about wheat, there's no more fundamental crop that, that provides a staple to the human diet. Um, so that's an incredible uh, example you just laid out and, and hopefully stark for our, our listeners. Uh, I did some stats. In 2018 and 19, the U.S. donated more than 800,000 metric tons of high-quality milling wheat to, to foreign countries. This wheat not only obviously is an essential ingredient to help feed people, but it helps support local businesses. Isn't that right? Building capacity for future sales. 
Absolutely. The bulk exports have proportionally uh, larger effect on the non-farm economy than, than the non-bulk. Uh, bulk exports value about 45.6 billion produced in addition to 75 billion of business activity in those countries. When I was in Africa, um, you definitely saw where um, just the bulk food coming over and the wheat and the milling all goes back into the economy because it creates jobs. And so um, definitely it's very important for those those countries in need and countries that experience these famine type issues and food insecurity. Yeah, and, and that word capacity is so important, you know, capacity to feed themselves, but also hopefully to be good customers uh, going forward. Have we seen some some good examples of that through the years over these 55 or so years? Yeah, I think so. I mean, there, there's some great examples just in my trip to Africa and Tanzania and Kenya. Um, you saw where the folks, I mean, these folks, when you talk about people in need and hungry, it's amazing to see and to experience that they're happy and, and they, they, but they have to look and work for that, that next time they're going to eat. And, and it's a process. And it's a big process and they have different um, like markets on every corner and just to eat in a day takes them takes them quite a while whereas we we're pretty lucky here we can some of us can just go drive through Starbucks or McDonald's and kind of makes us spoiled for the accessibility we have to food yeah and sometimes we we grumble uh, shame on us I, I want to hear more about this this trip so my understanding is you went with a with a group of representatives of American agriculture to Kenya and uh, Tanzania last year. Tell us a little bit more, and and, and I, I love even what you said prior to this about, uh, you know, they're still happy, even though they have challenges like we as Americans never face. It, it really, I, in my experience as in foreign travel, it certainly makes you count the blessings we as Americans know. It makes you feel like, gosh, we should be happier all the time. Uh, but tell us a little bit more about, about that trip uh, to Africa last year. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we don't realize how spoiled we are when you see people alongside the road and they're just trying to search for food. Um, I did get the opportunity to um, travel to a um, a camp um, and the camp there um, was just it was interesting how people can put together their life in a market with some of the just like the big sacks of wheat that we send over say USAID on it and they say wheat and they are also um, just the sack alone turns into a roof over somebody's head and uh, just the thought of seeing that and how we have roof over our head we know where our next meal is coming from they definitely search every day for that next meal and yeah. um, and it might be one meal and it might be two um, but you just they just don't know and it's a very um how do i say it it's a, it's one of those meals that's very um simple but yet filling and um we work very hard in the u.s as well as i saw rice from like south korea um yeah. and how all the world comes together and helps these folks that were probably in areas of unrest. They left their families. They walked for miles and miles and miles across the country. Incredible. And I know. I know. Obviously, beyond uh, U.S. wheat, uh, there's you know U.S. rice. You mentioned and um, 
uh, sorghum and other bulk commodities, obviously corn and soy blends and even soup blends that, that go over in, in these international programs. It's really an amazing act of, of generosity by the American farmer and, and the American citizens who, who ultimately fund uh, these programs for the sake of development and world peace. So let me ask this. So America's farmers have stepped forward, obviously, in a big way during the COVID-19 pandemic here at home, as well as to help with, with the food donations abroad. But wheat farmers have, have long been among the first in line to help others. I, I know that the Oregon Wheat Foundation started their bushels for Betsy program nearly 25 years ago to turn donations from wheat growers into baking mixes. Pretty cool deal. What are some of the other ways that wheat growers are supporting their communities right now? There was a study done by McKinsey and company on behalf of uh, Northwest Harvest, which um, suggests that food insecurity populations will quadruple in Washington state during this crisis. So this is where it comes, comes to bear how important, whether it's wheat, potatoes, we're all trying to come together and help with the with the food chain and the food system just here, even locally in my state. Uh, we have three counties alone that that will have about a half a million people in, in a food insecurity issue. Um, we also, when the pandemic started, like for instance with potatoes, they were they were like, where can I take these potatoes? The restaurants are closed. People aren't eating French fries, you know. And so then the potatoes, uh, some of the folks they got together and they're handing out bags of potatoes. As farmers, we, we try to support and feed anybody in need, and we try to get our product across the, you know, whether it's locally or across the world. I love it. And this year has been a stress test in so many ways. Um, obviously, the first was just, you know, would the farmers go out and, and you know, uh, brave the the obvious dangers of this pandemic and, and do their work to plant? Uh, to cultivate and to and to ultimately to harvest a crop, and of course, the U.S. farmer has has come forward uh, uh, with you know banners flying and with shining colors, as they do year after year after year after year to support our own nation, but then so many abroad. Nicole, thank you so much for joining us, sharing your insight and firsthand experience um, with America's In Kind Food Aid Program, as as well as what y'all have done there locally in this very odd year of 2020. For all, as you gather around your holiday table this year, please just take a moment to remember those in need, both here at home and abroad. It's critical that Congress maintain these important in-kind food aid programs. I know the American farmers and ranchers stand ready to help feed this needy and hungry world. That's it for this episode of Groundwork. I'm Tom Sell.